Welcome to the Portable Pulpit. Let's go. What's up, family? Uh, this is Colby Corso on the Portable Pulpit. I'm here with Dave Lazari, um, and we are going to be talking about some stuff uh, where church and state interacts today. Um, Dave, you want to say what's up? What's up? It's good. Um, so we haven't had an opportunity uh, to do a bunch of the church and state stuff in the fall, so we're a little bit behind. But um, if you've been watching a little bit of the news at all, uh, we, in November, had a presidential election, so they say. <laughs> so they say. And it wasn't rigged. That was important. <laughs> and uh, and obviously, um, it's a very divided time in the United States politically. Um, a lot of conversations that are happening at family meals or in workplaces. Uh, the divide between America has been well documented in different research polls that have come out, and that came out in the election, which had a very large voter turnout, um, a very divided country, and um, almost from the get-go, previous to even they starting the election, uh, different campaigns were talking about the way in which certain states, swing states in particular, like Pennsylvania, had their voter laws, their state laws organized, uh, Michigan, the Detroit area, that was weeks leading up to, and uh, from my understanding, uh, the Supreme Court, previous to the election, punted the football saying, hey, we're not going to address this unless we got to address it. Lo and behold, comes down to like Pennsylvania, Michigan, and these places that have some some irregularities, some quirky things. Now, um, I'm not going to weigh in and say um, one way or the other about whether that's uh, anything. One thing that I would say is that previously going into it, I assumed there was going to be voter fraud, to which all of my friends on the left told me, well, there's always a little bit of voter fraud, but it's so insignificant, and usually there's none, which is curious to me because uh, one of the things that a lot of my friends on the left will say is that they're very serious about no voter ID cards because that oppresses minority because they're worried about voter fraud or voter suppression you know, changing the election. But when there was significant concerns raised about um, the people that were supposed to be watching the votes counted being exited from the building and bags of votes being brought into some of these swing states, um, there was kind of crickets, right? And so I, it, it's, it's ironic to me sometimes the interplay between these two political parties because... One thing is, is like um, Democrats would want a Republican to register their gun. They say, you register your car, you register all kinds of stuff. Why would you not register your gun? Exactly. But they don't want you to be registered to vote. Right. You know, they, they, yeah. <laughs> so it's like one or the other. It's like, all right, well, you, are you uniformly for registration or are you registration? You're for registering guns. And then so it, there's times where like neither party for me is is absolutely consistent. And, and as a Christian, and I come to this situation, I, I was saying, I, based on what even people were looking at it, saying in these Democrat-held areas where they were fearing that Trump may have a ton of votes in Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, Michigan, and they were already like, like they were already predicting that previous to November, I was going to say there's going to be fraud. Mm -hmm. Trump is going to use it. He's going to come in and say, okay. Well, if he doesn't win, he's going to say, well, there was fraud in these areas. It won't be enough significance to overturn maybe 
like uh, the, the perception, the media perception, obviously not the media perception with Trump, but like even the common population's perception, and the Supreme Court would likely not uphold it. Now, I may be proven wrong on that. Like the Supreme Court's going to end up dealing with this in like January, possibly into February. We hope. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> they're going to have to take at least some form of look at look at it. And um, so all that went down, and there's still an ongoing fight. Some people are still holding out for Trump that he's going to win this thing, that there's some sort of Hail Mary path for him to get back into the office. At the same time, crazy early, even by Fox News, like they pronounced Joe Biden the president-elect, whatever that is. I've never even heard of president-elect until this year, so it's apparently this new cool office. <laughs> um, I would love to be the president-elect and then not ever become the president. That's hilarious, yeah. right? And so he became president-elect, and we kind of enter what you know we call in politics uh, the lame duck part of a presidency where usually very little activity happens. Here's my thing, regardless of whether there was fraud and and like for me, there clearly was. Like if you you can go online and listen to the people who submitted affidavits testifying under, under oath, oath at penalty that this is what happened. There was fraud. Mm-hmm. Okay, so you you can't. I don't think that you can realistically say that there wasn't fraud, especially fraud in strategic areas where if Trump wins that area, he wins the whole state. Mm-hmm. So that's where I might even disagree with myself that the the fraud is so minimal. I think that the fraud was strategic in such a way that it actually could swing the election. I haven't counted all the votes. I haven't seen all the stuff. But I listened to the testimonies of people under, under oath. And as a Christian, this is what I think we've got to hunker down on. We are for truth everywhere. Mm-hmm. We're for transparency everywhere. We're for not cheating. And that doesn't matter if that's Trump or that's Joe Biden. Um, it doesn't matter which party that is. As Christians, we're to be salt and light and to advocate for truth. If the truth comes out and Trump loses, and we as Christians have advocated for it, we have done God-glorifying uh, work, right? Mm-hmm, exactly. If, it, if we advocate for tr- tr- truth and Trump wins, we've done God-glorifying work, the point is not that we advocate only for truths that agree with the guy that we want to get into office. The fact of the matter is, because we're on the side of Jesus who is truth, we're for truth everywhere. We're for honesty everywhere. We're for, like, the law, if this is what the law is of the land for the Supreme Court, we should hold the Supreme Court to a higher law of God's law, saying if if you're going to answer to God one day, if you are perverting the laws of our land— for some sort of political maneuvering, all right? And so, hold your breath. We have no idea what's going to happen with the election. It looks as though Joe, Joe Biden's going to come into office, and he's already begun, I guess, preliminary appointments of people that are going to get— I mean, this is going to get to be a really weird situation if he ends up not being the president, and all these people like Pete Buttigieg, who is from, what, like Indiana, they have no major— transit systems or transportation he got appointed as the uh what the head of transportation head of transportation and there's really no justification except for the identity politics of that he's a homosexual right so it's like okay it's not your qualifications on paper that you actually know how to manage transportation like that kind of that that stuff is so nuts to me that it's like for me if pete Buttigieg was a good manager of transportation and was a homosexual, 
Like I'd be like, oh, he's good for the job. Like he's obviously qualified for it. Mm -hmm. You know, even if I disagree with his sexual orientation and his lifestyle as a person, that does not mean that he can't operate in that office and do a great job for the American people. But the fact that he was chosen, not based on his credentials or his track record of success, we're not trying to do what's best for the people. We're trying to score victories with the homosexual community. Or if you're appointed because you're black or Native American or because you're white or anything else, those are not decisions that are being made for the good of the people. Those are decisions that are being made for my base. Does that make sense? Well, yeah, it's like we I've lost so much faith anyway in the appointments of any president because at least initially when it first starts happening, it starts to look like you're not you're not building a strong cabinet. You're not building you're not you're not uh, gathering people to rally around you to make you more efficient or powerful or, or great at your job. You're creating poster people, poster boys, so to speak. Um, to it, it's like an advertisement. It's like look, look at the decision I can make that's going to appeal to this crowd, or look at the decision I can make that's going to appeal to that crowd. It's not about who's going to do good, or who's going to be right, or who's going to shine in their position. It's about attention. Well, you know what's weird is that I think forty years ago there was. I mean, you can even go back sixty years ago. There's very little difference um, on a lot of different things. You go back to Kennedy. There's very little difference between Republicans and Democrats on a lot, on a plethora of issues like mm-hmm. foreign issues, different economic. I mean, they slightly shaded. They was like the American way, and they kind of shaded it a couple different ways. And that's not always been the case throughout history. I mean, the parties have been closer or further apart. Blah blah blah. Yeah. Okay, but you know, like it was not uncommon to like, oh, this is the best person for the position. And one of the things that 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 created at times though was gridlock and and even like when i was coming up in college the big argument was there it's actually a one-party system you know 20 years ago they were like oh it's a one-party system you're not voting for a real difference if you're voting for republican or democrat they're basically the same thing which is so wild that you know that was what was railed against it's like neither of them or anything but what's crazy now is that they are so drastically different that's like, okay, well, you got what you wanted. There's two distinct, different Americas. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's really what it is. There's two different realities that these two groups of people live in. There's two futures, two past. I mean, that's why each party's trying to rewrite history in the past, and they're trying to cast a different view- vision for the future. And their policies look dra- so drastically different. And, I, you know, there's people that have said, it's like, well, is that going to end in civil war? Is that going to, are we going to be able to, are we going to be able to, stay married and get along and move forward. Okay, so that brings me to kind of um, this interesting period of the lame duck presidency of Donald Trump where he is he's still president and what's crazy is I almost forgot that. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like yeah. there was a time after the election and it was like, okay, it's fraud and I kind of followed that cycle and then it was like it was almost like we didn't have a president. It was almost like everybody took a deep breather. I think he went and played golf. You know what I mean? Like whatever, probably not wearing a mask, whatever he's doing. <laughs> All right. I know Joe Biden's giving a lot of speeches that nobody listens to. You know what I mean? So yeah. it's like, it, it was like we didn't have, it was like America had time to just breathe and date ourselves and just find ourselves. We didn't have to think about it. And so we had this incredible space. Well, let me say this for myself. I had this space because i i intentionally try to follow politics not too closely where it's, it becomes idolatry but just close enough where I'm informed where it just felt like we didn't have a president and we just like things just went on that all changed with the stimulus mm-hmm. 
Well, he's, he's th- this lame duck period isn't really happening for him. He's still very, very active. Yeah. He, he's still pushing stuff. And so, and that's where he's, so that kind of, the stimulus was like kind of this new beep on the radar that brought me back into the fact that he has been doing, you know, pardoning people and, and doing different activity. Now, the stimulus, um, it has been really controversial because one thing is, uh, like Nancy Pelosi and the Democrats didn't even want the first one and kept fighting to kind of earmark things, um, kind of their own, for their party or their group, their team. Their agenda. Their agenda, and they didn't want Trump to have the win. So even whenever, what was the first stimulus, $2,000? Or a thousand or whatever it was. Yeah, a thousand per adult member of the household. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So by the way, my Chickasaw tribe gave us a little like stipend as well. So they they made sure they beat the government. I'm just putting <laughs> that out there. Nice. So they but like um so they came in and, and she called like the thousand dollars crumbs. And then the new stimulus that was proposed by the Democrats has less than a thousand. Yeah. Whatever. And so this new one that comes out, I guess it's a weird timing to me. Because Trump's still in office. So they obviously accounted for the idea that he could veto this. Um, obviously, um, a lot of the earmarks and things that they wanted in that are pushed into this new stimulus. And uh, it looks as the biggest legacy of this stimulus is just producing fantastic memes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right? The meme game... For the stimulus is like top notch. Like, point. Oh, dude, me and my wife set up for like an hour last night just looking at stimulus memes because they were they were there. Like mm-hmm. they had the Ben Stiller um, when he was in Zoolander, mm-hmm. and he's like doing the school. You know, it's like, is this a stimulus for ants? <laughs> it's like six hundred dollars. One of my buddies had like a meme of a guy like picking up a rock and throwing it at like a monster. It was like Star Trek or something, and it had like six hundred dollars on it. And the monster had like written on him rent and he throws this, the thing at it and it just bounces off the robot and like leaves him unfazed. Yep. I mean, these things are gold. My famous one from the first stimulus. And we talked about this before we started was what me and Clifford Cox were talking about with the, I don't, whatever church that is out there, elevation church or, or whatever Carrie Job's at. And they did, they do that song like, Oh yeah. Um, it's like in your family, in your children, and their children. <laughs> who's and, gonna pay for? The and stimulus? somebody put on that like, who's gonna pay for this t- stimulus? And it's like, and your children, <laughs> and their children, dude. I can I can watch that right now, and it just it like it it's it's top notch. Yep. So stimulus has stimulated the meme world, but I'm not sure it's like it's gonna move the American economy. You got something about like some of the breakdown that's on there? Yeah, and this is this is. With the common disclaimer that it's something that you find online, and I don't know how um, accurate these numbers are, but I'm assuming they're, they're at least ballpark. Um, the uh, domestic funding falling under that category, the Kennedy Center gets $26,400,000, uh, the W. Wilson Center, $14 million, the Smithsonian Institute, $1 billion. And then the, just this, at least to me, it seems arbitrary list of countries that we're just sending money to when it's supposed to be our stimulus package. You're supposed to be helping the American people and we're sending one billion three hundred million to Egypt, seven hundred million to Sudan, four hundred fifty-three million to Ukraine, five hundred million to Israel, one hundred thirty million to Nepal, one hundred thirty-five million to Burma, eighty-five million to Cambodia, twenty-five million to Pakistan, and one billion four hundred thousand to Asia. And the American people 
get $600 a piece. Wow. $600. That, that, I mean, in, in my monthly income, for, with my household income, $600 is like, it pays all of my utilities for a month, or it's what I want to pay towards my student loans, or it's half of my mortgage, or whatever it is. We're blessed to not have car payments right now, but it's such an insignificant amount con considering the the strife that the American people have gone through since coronavirus started and how much income they've lost. It's absolutely peanuts. That's my thing. What's crazy is I saw a breakdown of the math of the trillions of dollars, and if you divided it by how many Americans there are, like the 350 50 million or whatever there's going to come out in this new census. Mm -hmm. It's like everybody would get $2,700 if it just went to the American people. Yeah. So what the distance between 600 and, and that's every American. Yeah. That's not qualifying Americans because right. there's a lot of people that even in that 300 plus million that would not qualify for it. So if you get down to whatever the real numbers are, I mean, you could give people like a significant, I don't know. What would you, what could you give them? 5,000, you know, like what would the check yeah. be if you were just giving it? But here's the thing. This is an opportunity for politicians to scratch their own back, mm -hmm. to slide. And, and that's what's so nuts. Like, I watched uh, a thing about the timeline between when the bill was written and when they had to vote on it. And it's a 600-page piece 6, of— 6,000-page. 6,000-page, 600,000-page. It's like 6,000-page yeah. piece of legislation that I don't care if you're Sherlock Holmes. You're not reading that mug in an hour. Yeah. You know what I mean? And so they're not reading the legislation. It's 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 shady. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And here is a thing. Regardless of what you think about Trump, if you think that this bill has some stuff in there that's shady, where's all these like fiscal conservative Republicans that would vote against it? Mm -hmm. Right? And that's where I think the Republican Party has to have its feet held to the fire is that they come out as saying, hey, we shouldn't be just giving money out to people, no free money, and they're going to complain about welfare, and yet they're voting on a bill to give free money to people. Mm -hmm. Now, here are, my, here are my thoughts on this. I'm not saying that we shouldn't do a stimulus or anything like that. I would argue with Rand Paul, you can't just print the money, though. Right. Like, the problem... Rand Paul is very close to my perspective. It's like, I have a lot of political things that... Like, say, say things that would be on, like, like tax-payer-funded fun things. Like, I'm for trains. Like, I really like trains, all right? Like, I think there should be high-speed rail between here and everywhere <laughs> so that we can, like, do high-speed rail. It goes, like, 600 miles an hour, and we're in New York in, like, two days. I, nobody wants to go to New York. We're in, like, Oklahoma in, like, two days or, like, two hours or something like that instead yeah. of two days. So I like high-speed rail, and I, that would be, like, something legislation-wise that maybe I would be supportive of, right? Um you know, giving moms opportunities after they have babies to stay home for like a year. Like I'm, I'm over the top. Like there's things like that, that I'm kind of in the center on. Right. Mm -hmm. But here's what I, I would not vote for either of those things. If we can't afford it, mm -hmm. we're trillions of dollars already in debt. Where is this money come from? Is it coming from Ch a credit card from China? Are we, where are we borrowing this money from? Right. Where's, where's the economics of it? So I say that to say that um, it's the same as like for my personal life. If me and my wife cannot afford something, we do not go out and buy it on a credit card. Like if that's our personal philosophy, like we have $100 to spend, we don't spend $250. Right. 
so this gets back into me as a Christian, the question of stewardship. It's like, if we can't afford, you know, different luxuries inside of our country, we should not pay for them. And this is the question is like, which candidate do you know of that is running on the on the platform of paying off the debt? Nobody is. They, they, they'll, they'll mention it here and there when they're campaigning, but nobody ever takes a solid swing at it. And coronavirus, I'll have to admit, probably put a big dent in anybody's plan to, to look at that topic. But, I mean, it, it's, a, it's American. It, it, and sadly, it's, I think, considered American to be in debt. And not just the country and politically or the government, but the American citizen thinks it's just part of life. Yeah. And that's just not the case. Well, you know, it's just like what you got to teach a college student when they take out, you know, they come in as freshmen and all those credit card companies are sitting outside their dorm room, outside their building saying, here's a free shirt and a hat. If you'll sign up for this credit card with like 37% interest. Mm-hmm. And you, and, and you got to tell them it's like, there's no free money. Yeah. And it's a hard truth, but like the government with elected officials that are trying to get people to like them are looking for wins, you know? And so, I think there's a question here as Christians about stewardship. Like, even if you support trains like I do, or you support stay-at-home moms, or you support a a ten thousand ten million dollar stimulus to every American, doesn't matter what it is. Like, what do you think about the stewardship of resources by our government? Because at some point, you got to pay the piper. Mm-hmm. This is going to come back, and I don't think seriously that there's any government out there that could take down America from the outside. It's stuff like this that rusts out your core that destroys your country mm-hmm. economically. It paralyzes you. And you think about how many people in in your life work for the government as teachers or in the military or um, different contractors or provide different services through the government. You know, there's a place where that money stops and you can't just keep printing it. And so for me with the stimulus, besides the and and that's so number one conversation is stewardship and I think there's some irresponsible. Now, I don't think that Trump um vetoed that because he's a fiscal conservative. Matter of fact, one of my critiques about Trump over a long period of time is that while there's other places that I agree with him like pushing on China or you know where he's advocated for religious freedom, or been the most pro-life president in my lifetime. Um, there's things where I agree with him. There's places where I think that he has been exactly like a Democrat in spending, mm-hmm. right? Like where he's spent money, whether whether it's things you agree with here, military or or other things, he's spent a lot of money. So I don't think that he vetoed this because he's afraid of spending money. I mean, he spent as much money as Barack Obama. Yeah. Okay. I think he vetoed this because. They were trying to slide it. I don't know why they would do this during it. I mean, wait until the Joe Biden thing comes through and do it and Joe Biden picks up the win. I think they wanted to hang this on him. The the stuff like where they were, what is it, in Pakistan, they're paying millions of dollars for them to teach uh, like the gendered pronouns, transgender, mm-hmm. homosexual agenda. They're exporting that as leverage so that they can send their doctrine and philosophy and ideology to Middle Eastern countries. countries, It's exactly what happens. So um, one thing that happened in this previously with the Democratic Party was um, I was told 
uh, when I was in East Africa that George Bush had promised that if um, East African countries in particular would build certain infrastructure um, and met certain goals as far as their justice system and their economy and different things, that the U.S. government would provide so much food aid to the poorest of the poor in East Africa. So you build this kind of infrastructure, and we will... George Bush was one of the most pro-Africa and pro-African presidents that we've ever had. Mm-hmm. Obama was more popular, but he did less for Africans than Bush did. Right. Right? So he put all this stuff in place. Well, Bush ends his tenure. Obama gets in office, and he says, oh, and those countries come back and say, we've met all of these check marks that you set out for us to do, and you promised this food aid. The then President Obama said, oh, well, you have to legalize homosexuality, and you have to, like, make... You know, uh, we're going to export abortion and the ideology about abortion overseas. A lot of the pastors, politicians, some of which are Christians, said that's just not our culture. You're forcing your ideology and beliefs on us, and that wasn't a part of the deal when we made it. Yeah. And what they're holding over them, money and food aid, in order to push abortions, in order to push homosexuality. So this is kind of the same sort of stuff. This gives them the opportunity to export and, and like, here's the thing. What's so hypocritical about this, would you imagine the outrage if we were given $10 billion to export Christianity into Pakistan <laughs> on a stimulus package from the U.S. government? They would say, oh, that's religious. Well, they are religiously pushing the transgender ideology in contradiction to science, in contradiction to Christianity, They're pushing the homosexual stuff and the abortion stuff, and they're doing it in packages like this, and it looks like they're saying, oh, we're helping Americans. The stuff to Pakistan and Egypt has nothing to do with Americans Americans who lost their jobs because the government shut them down. The government not only created the problem, the problem is the virus, but the way in which the government shut people down created a second economic problem, right? The virus is is its own biological problem. Yeah. And it's real and it's serious and you should be but here's the thing. When they started saying, Okay, Walmart and Home Depot can have three hundred people in it, but your restaurant can't have people in it. Yeah, you're small. Against all logic. Whatever. Yeah. I mean, they started stealing hundreds of billions of dollars from small businesses and just pumping them into these I I mean, Amazon stock is through the roof, mm-hmm. right? So they created the economic problem by giving the wrong solution to the virus. Now their solution is an opportunity to create more problems internationally. It sounds so funny when you spell it out like that. Like it, It's just, there's no logic. It, so here's my deal about the stimulus. So there's one side about it that's stewardship. It's like we don't have this money to spend on ourselves, much less on Egypt. Especially what are we going to do when the, when the ramifications, the consequences of the economy slowing down, you know, like hits us. Mm-hmm. And we don't have a pro-economic president in place like Trump was. Yeah. Right? I mean, what's going to happen in 2022, 2023? you got to think about that down the road and kind of prepare and steward the resources well. The second thing is is the, the things that contradict Christianity and orthodoxy and orthopraxy and our beliefs, and you're using taxpayer money that we already don't have to give that to somewhere else. So... You know, it's crazy, but like Trump vetoes this thing. This may be the first thing that he gets overridden, and it's going to take a bunch of Republicans to override Trump on the stimulus. 
And it seems maybe we've went back to the one-party system. If you got Republicans and Democrats agreeing, like here's my thing of uh, uh, what's the guy that ran on uh, the Asian guy that ran on the Democratic side? Yang is it? In- I don't know. Andrew. Uh, anyways, forgot his name just off off the top of my head. He was advocating for, um, you know, basically a con like a, a an income like everybody gets an income, right? Like a basic human income like you get like twenty thousand dollars a year no matter what you do right and he's saying like machines are replacing people and they've got to have like a basic income or whatever mm-hmm. and the, the outrage from that is like yeah but you're going to kill human drive and we can't get free money away we can't print it we can't afford it blah 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 blah. well where are we at now yeah you know between the if the same principles are true then how do they apply here across the board so where the interaction between what's happening in the state and what's happening with the church, I think for the church, we've got to be the people. If there's nobody else that says the unpopular conversation of, hey, we can't afford that. Hey, we can't afford that. I think that's got to be us. I think we've got to be the people that come in and it's like, hey, like you can't keep going down to the casino and blowing your paycheck, government. Like, hey, you can't just keep putting crap on like credit cards. Yeah. Like you got to pay off some of this stuff. It's toxic debt. Like you're going to have to... There needs to be an intervention, and the church needs to lead the way. Even if that means like our pet things don't get funded either, like that, that's just got to be real, mm-hmm. okay? And I think the other side of this is, you know, advocating for for truth, whether that's in the fraud that's in the election, um, or advocating for truth whenever it's six thousand pages and they're earmarking a whole bunch of money to a whole bunch of causes that are that are sinful. And that are that are contradictory to the word. Well, and and I think you nailed it when you when you started talking about what what it what's going to happen when this is vetoed. And I and I got to say maybe this is conspiracy, but um, it's almost like in my mind they created what they created and then sent it to Trump because they knew he would veto it and they were hoping he would veto it so that he's then out of office by the time they pre- present a new one and then it's even worse than it is right now. Oh. They get to make it whatever they want. That may be that may be legitimate. My thought was kind of a different one, and maybe it's deeper conspiracy. I'm I'm an anti-conspiracy theorist at heart, so I try to think of the straight force thing. Mm-hmm. My deal was, if you're a Democrat and you hang all this stuff on here, all this, you know, um, affirmative action, transgender, homosexuality, which he's one of the pro most pro homosexual presidents we've ever had. Mm-hmm. I'm not I'm not painting him in that corner um, as an Orthodox Christian or a believer or any of that sort of stuff, but like. If they can hang this on him, it's almost like, like they can always go back to and say, "Hey, you got Trump. He also did this thing." Mm-hmm. And I, I think your theory may be better than that, but I, I kind of have this feeling of like, if they held out before, like Trump was trying to do this before the election, like a couple months before the election, put another stimulus out, but they didn't want to give him the win. Mm-hmm. Well, how can they make him sign this and it be a loss? Yeah. And so for me, the only way it is is it's got a whole bunch of stuff that he wouldn't agree with, or he's going to look awful by vetoing it, which is kind of a thing they thought would happen. Like if he vetoes it, it's like he doesn't care about the American people. Right. But then he came out saying, no, you, I want more money for the American people, and I want you to stop <laughs> sending this money overseas. And what about this little thing over here that uh, ties the hands of the president and puts all the power in Congress's hand? Let's get out of that. Let's get that, that out of here, too. You know, like, I don't know. It's a, but here's the deal. It's like we wouldn't pay attention. You know, it's funny. It's like uh, 
you know, one thing that AOC uh, and Rand Paul agreed on, both of them spoke up and said, hey, we didn't have enough time to read the bill. Both of them talked about that. Mm-hmm. Rand Paul voted against it because of that. Yeah. AOC voted for it. I Both th- of them said they didn't read it. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then one voted for it, one voted against it, making the same complaint. Yeah. So here's the thing. I think with all the stuff that we talked about today, we need better transparency. We need to advocate for truth wherever it's found. And, and, and at the cost of not getting what we want. Like you said, yeah. we need to be the beacon of truth, even if it doesn't produce the outcome we desire. Right. Because it's truth. That's right. And there's no your truth and his truth and her truth. There's just plain truth. That's right. So what do you think about the stimulus? What do you think about the fraud? Um, I I personally think that there was fraud in the election. It won't be significant enough to overturn the election. Biden will be the president in 2021. I think the stimulus will go through in some form or fashion. And I think that um, there's going to be a lot of dangerous things that are going to be included with it. Mm-hmm. And I think no matter what the stimulus is, if you do the stimulus without increasing taxes, um, you're going to irresponsibly print money that we don't have and increase the debt to a greater toxicity um, than what is righteous. So those are kind of where I'm pulling on things. What do you think about it? There's comments. Um, like this, share this, um, get involved in the conversation. We'd love to hear what you have. To say, if you have ideas for our next Church and State podcast or another Lucid Brevity article or something about the sermons and sermon extensions that you get here from FBC Bayfield, uh, we'd love to interact with you. Uh, We're going to be tackling more topics and issues as we head into 2021, and we'd love to have you like, subscribe, and share this with friends. We love you guys, and we will catch you on the flip side. You've been listening to The Portable Pulpit. If you've been blessed, like it, share it, subscribe to it, and for goodness sake, send us some ideas.